Okay, in this first podcast of February of 2021, I'm going to call this one Reclaiming My Time. And the purpose behind this is to establish the need for us to start back over and get back to the roots of rational Christian thinking. Because it has disappeared, not just over the last year or so. It's been disappearing for decades. But there are a series of firm foundations of faith that have been completely eradicated out of the church. It's been taken out of our current literature, out of our current services. It's been removed from our speech with each other, within our own families and friends. And we have given into concepts like virtue signaling, cancel culture, uh, this idea of being ecumenical across multiple faith systems, um, concepts of the end times and whether we accept them or want to reject them or see them as fanciful, and so on. The first element I want to touch off on on this is creationism itself. Now, the fact that we have to have a term like creationism, automatically means that we are having to defend that our existence was created. Now think about that. We're having to argue or defend as Christians that we were created. Versus what? Well, spontaneously occurring. And you, you may say, well, you know, Sean, that's the same thing. No, it's really not. Science wants to believe, wants you, and, I, and by science here I say the bulk of the science community, because not all scientists see it this way, but the bulk of the science community wants you to believe that we spontaneously occurred. That is different from being created. You intentionally create a meal. You don't accidentally create an egg omelet. Right? There are steps in the process, and it's a preparation that is organized in some way. Even if when you walk into it, you only know, okay, I'm going to have certain elements, that I, food that I want to ingest. I don't know how I'm going to put it together. But at least you have a basic plan. Okay? That right there in, implies that you are creating a meal versus... Um, you falling headfirst into a field of something and your mouth just begins to munch on whatever it is stuck down into and as a result you have had a meal and and I, I, I joke it off that way but there's really kind of some reality to that science most of science today would have you believe that we accidentally began the process of us existing accidentally happened in a similar way of someone accidentally consuming something in their orifices and gaining nutrition from it. We weren't that way. That is not how we began. And there is no stitch of science that can say that it is all accidental. There is form and function. There is order to all of this. And they even have to admit that it may have started out as chaos, but now it's organized. Okay, so order out of chaos. And, and your Illuminati folks and things can go and, 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 and delve off of that for the next month if they want to. But 
my basic point with this is that science would tell you that given enough time chaos becomes order and so therefore we are the result of a long period of time and so we weren't created we just accidentally formed and molded and evolved over a very long period of time and that's what they hold to now they want that because they want it to be godless and, and you can argue anything you want to but the truth of the matter is the basic guts of this is they want you to believe that there is no creation therefore there is no creator therefore there is no God therefore we are our own gods and that takes all that responsibility of living your life in a particular morality away one of the greatest deceptions that Satan was ever able to pull off was to be able to convince people that he doesn't exist that was his greatest achievement see because you can look around you and see nature in and of itself or even just look at another human being you cannot be a parent and see a young baby being born and seeing them grow up and seeing the things that they go through and they begin to learn I'm sorry you cannot look at that for too long without at least for a moment telling yourself man this is incredible the order and the process and the development that takes place in this child so therefore you have to admit even if you don't want to put a label to it you have to admit there's a, an order there's a creation process there's a development in all of it and it doesn't take millions of years for a baby to become articulate so you're actually observing in some cases within the same day you're observing changes in your child and so therefore that automatically debunks this process that it takes millions of years for change to naturally occur no a baby can prove in a matter of days or hours the changes that happen in the human body that's not accidental that's not spontaneous now if you continue to make changes as quickly as you do as an infant throughout your entire life we'd be looking at a very different picture we don't it there is a cooling off process there is a point where you're no longer growing you're dying you're decaying and nobody has been able to determine for certain where that point is in a person's life because it can be in a different spot in everyone's life a young child can go through something medically challenging that can cause their life the center of their lifespan to be hours weeks years only and they're in the decay mode already there are no long no more further developments that go on okay, we see that in the life of different species of things animals live in different time frames than we do as humans even though humans don't have a set time frame although scripturally 70 years is what we're promised but not everybody lives within that promise clearly so it's a guideline it's an estimate it's used and I don't want to throw this word around too often symbolically by God because seven as a perfect number 7d being a perfection and so this idea that you are designed perfectly God has designed you to live the length of life that he has designed you to live and I know that seems like a non-answer but it's not 
it is an answer. Just like dentistry tells you the answer to the question, how many teeth should you have in your mouth, their response, usually smugly, will be a mouthful. Whatever your jawline will hold will determine how many teeth you will have. Unless there's something else that opposes that natural order. Disease, injury, right? Things of that nature. So, again, there's order to all of this, but every single thing that exists in existence has its own individual time frame. Period. There is no set date for any particular item. There is no guaranteed fruition of something. That's that's why even as a child, when you're reading your science books and you're or you're watching things grow, you know, you plant seeds in a little cup and you water it every day, and the idea is that you're going to watch this bean sprout come up or whatever, and you're told that it's going to happen within you know, one to two days, this will happen. Within three to four days, this will happen, and so forth. Why do they do one to two, three to four, five to eight, whatever? Because there is no set time frame. You cannot set a stopwatch and go, okay, in 82 hours, this is what you're going to see. It doesn't work that way. Every individual plant forms within its time frame, just like every human being develops within their time frame and their lifespan develops within their intended lifespan. And so there, you can look at science and say, there's your chaos. Right? If you want chaos, there's your chaos. God has given every living item, everything within creation, its own independent time frame. There's your chaos. It doesn't have to be huge explosions. doesn't have to be sludge. And it doesn't have to go from this form to that form. You don't have to go from a fish to a monkey to a bird or whatever, or a fish, bird, ape, whatever you want. You don't have to go through all of those different stages in order to get to man. That's not God's chaos. That's science's chaos. That's science's way of trying to explain itself without having to admit that they can't. And so instead brilliant minds of science take time as their element. Take time out of the equation. Science can't solve anything. Can't even hypothesize anything. Take time out of it completely and they're at a total loss. They can't explain anything. So science says we're random. Science says we live on a globe that spins at a thousand miles an hour that is also rotating around a sun and is spiraling at, at a, a, a pace of 66 or 0.6 thousand miles an hour uh, and that sun and its planets are hurling through this void at half a million miles an hour as well we don't know where it came from. We don't know where it's going because it's in an empty void. And that all of this has been taking place over a countless period of time. In fact, it's so countless, what we've decided to do is make up a figure and say, if light took a year to get somewhere, 
we're going to call it a light year, and so therefore we're going to speak in terms of light years. So we're not just going to speak in terms of years, which is unfathomable to begin with. We're going to throw it into a concept that you can't even remotely imagine, so that it's so far out there that we could believe anything and see anything and, and all of that. So we're told all of that with not an ounce of truth. There's no way to estimate any of this. There's no way for us to stand on the outside of the Earth and measure the speed of the Earth rotating. Sorry, there's no way to do it. Our rotation is based off of the rotation that we see, supposedly the rotation that we see from the Sun or the Moon. And yet they can both appear in the sky at the same time in different elements and things in different strengths and there's all kinds of issues with all of that and I'm not even going to get into heliocentricity uh, at least not in this podcast but you've got all of that that happens all of those issues you can't observe it from an outside why because we can't observe it outside of our own orbit okay and I'm using the term orbit intentionally here to, to, to continue to, to hold on to these concepts that we've been taught over the last couple of centuries that you know that it, of what I just said that we're on a round sphere that is rotating and it, it in and of itself is spinning around a sun and the sun is hurling through space and all this kind of stuff I'll continue to use those terms for now but because but because honestly truthfully deep down within the roots of my soul I don't buy any of that. Now, does that make me an idiot? I'll pause now to ask this question. Why is it rational to believe in all of that that you cannot prove? But it's not rational. It's lunacy, apparently, for you to believe that we don't rotate, that we don't move, that we're not millions of, of miles away from a sun or a moon or planets. Uh, regardless of the shape of those planets, why is it lunacy to believe that we don't rotate, that we don't move, that maybe we're, we are the center of a universe? Why is that lunacy? Well, it's not. It's not any more, any more lunatic than the other thing that I just gave you. In fact, it's a little easier to swallow because at least throughout most of human history, almost every culture believed in that latter of those two examples. It's been within the last two to three hundred years that most of the earth has begun to uh, to buy into this concept of it being round and you know spinning at a thousand miles an hour and rotating around the sun at 66,000 whatever and hurling through the universe at half a million miles an hour and so forth. It, all of that is a concept within the last couple of centuries. Again, last couple of centuries, when did we actually, historically told, when did we leave the earth, go up into the sky, and begin to record these concepts? Well, flight didn't happen until late 1800s, really sophisticated flight until mid-1900s. Rockets didn't occur until the, what, the nearly you know, three-quarters of the way through the 20th century. And yet, so in other words, we had no way to record an actual curvature. We had no way to simulate any of the things that were going on out there. And yet we had maps supposedly completely accurate 
with an islander here or two off, okay, but we had supposedly these accurate maps of what the Earth was like before the 60s, before we had space flight. We had maps of a so-called global Earth before we had air flight. So how did we get up to an elevation in which we could map out the contours of the planet? Now, we also were being told that a century plus ago, we had enough of an exploration of the planet itself to have a so-called accurate map of the entire surface of the Earth, to know how many continents we had, to know where those continents were located, to know the distances that those continents had from each other, and so forth. We're supposed to believe all of this, again, without having the advantage of a viewpoint that we could look up from it and actually observe it. It was non-observable. But science would tell us that the accuracy is there and that it was accurate 100 years ago, 100 plus years ago, and that it hasn't changed. And that somehow we were that accurate. Now, explain that one to me. But, again, we're supposed to, and this is coming from people that, that tell us that we are a chaos to order, that we just evolved in this process, and so therefore all of this information that we've gained, that we claim, just came about on its own, naturally. There is no intelligent order to any of it. Well, in my humble opinion, there's no intelligent order to the shape and the structure of the planet and its and its continents and and the mass of it and all that. There's no there's no articulate order to any of that from science's perspective because it's all BS. It's all BS. When some seventy something percent of the Earth is water and water always rises to a level plane. And you have video after video, document after document, research after research that shows that water does not curve except in the process of natural mass, Okay, meaning water will curve when it's being pushed out of something over a surface only until it reaches a downward location. And then when it reaches a pool, a bowl, something to contain it, it levels off. Okay, everything does that. All of nature does that. Okay, um, but again, I, I, I'm not digressing. I'm just indicating the arguments are very are razor thin because there's no way to remove yourself from the object that you're studying. To observe it, we have not removed ourselves from the Earth or from the Earth's atmosphere. Uh, I don't even want to use the term gravity because there's arguments that gravity, in and of itself, is just an argument being used to explain why everything doesn't just float off into a spinning void because we're moving at a thousand miles an hour. Okay, put water on a, a, a soccer ball and spin the ball around and the water is not going to cling to the ball it's going to want to spray off of the ball um, but gravity is used as the explanation that somehow the core of the planet 
which we haven't reached because the furthest down into the surface of the planet that we've been able to dig is about approximately eight miles. But supposedly the core of the planet is this molten mess and we're supposed to believe that that molten mess somehow creates a gravitational pull. Now, that would imply that heat creates a gravitational pull. And I know I'm simplifying this, but that would be the argument that heat somehow creates a gravitational pull in the quarter, corner in the, the the core, sorry, of the planet. Under that type of a concept, you get a furnace hot enough, things are going to want to gravitate to it. Small objects, whatever, are going to want to be pulled to it. Okay. Forget about the possibility that there's going to be somebody within hearing of this that's going to go, well, you know, objects do come in. There is oxygen seems to be pulled toward, um, you know, debris and oxygen seems to be pulled toward a fire. That's in order for the fire itself to continue to consume. The fire is consuming the oxygen. It's a chemical reaction, not a physical reaction. Gravity is physical. You can't argue that argue that any other way. It is a physical property, right? Gravity moves physical objects toward another physical object. That's the theory of gravity, or part of the theory of gravity. Fire needs oxygen to exist. So therefore, it pulls the oxygen to it. Now, if we're going to use that argument truly, human beings require oxygen to survive. We don't gain oxygen into our body because of gravity. Gravity does not pull oxygen into us. We inhale. Meaning, we perform a function that pulls what we need towards us. It's intelligent design. In fact, it's so intelligent design, it's so basic to our creation process that we are designed to do it without thought. Now, the brain can sometimes get in the way and we can forget how to breathe. Okay, that's, that's a dysfunction somewhere. That's not the norm. The normal human body breathes on its own, meaning it does it without conscious operation. Now, to use that tactic, you would have to assume that fire is somehow intelligent. But it also would have to be used in the sense of the earth. You would have to assume the earth is consciously or subconsciously. Some people would say, well, just like the human body pulls the oxygen in on its own, the earth pulls the elements in toward it on its own. So, in other words, the earth is a living, breathing creature. That's what you're telling me. That's what science is telling us, is the earth is living in the sense that it is a it is a being that the earth is a being and we have evidence of that where we don't but see science wants to tell you that a rock is a living entity because it changes over time if it changes it must be living we are supposed to completely ignore that an outside force, or an inside force for that matter, an invasion of some kind. An apple doesn't just decay. Something else occurs within the apple. 
right? Put a put an apple in an airtight containment, and the apple will not decay to the level that it would just sitting out. Meaning that there's an outside variable that causes the decay to happen. And part of that is the oxygen process. See, there's an outside element. The apple in and of itself does not do does not do the changing without it having been affected by something around it. It doesn't choose to decay. It has decay is is thrust upon it. And I know this is probably deeper than you thought you were going to get into on this, but I'm just throwing all of that out there again to remind you that there's an order to all of this, there's an intelligent design, and then there's a working with each other in all of this process. But we are somehow supposed to believe that the things that just come naturally to us as humans are supposed to also come naturally to inanimate objects, or that the things that we observe are supposed to be countered by using a term called gravity to explain it away. Gravity is important on one level, but it doesn't work on another. Spin a wet object, the water sprays off of it. But if the object's large enough, somehow gravity will, will contain it and keep it. Now, Here's my other argument when it comes to that, and I'm just going to throw that out there and move on, is that if the gravity is so strong that it keeps the water sucked to the planet so that it will not spin off of it at the thousand miles an hour that we're supposedly rotating, if it will hold the water down to that strength, then you're telling me that clouds are spinning at a greater rate than the gravity that we have, and so therefore can suck the water up and create hurricanes and the like or that the mere force of a human being's finger on the trigger of a plastic mechanism can shoot the water up into the into the air through a nozzle and can defy that gravity but the gravity is so incredible within the core of the planet that it keeps the water from being spun off of the planet but a small child can defy that gravity with a plastic tool. Just throwing that out there. So, all of that to say, I'm reclaiming my time when it comes to creationism. There's a divine order, there's an intelligent design, therefore there is a divine intelligent creator. And no argument of science which is theory in and of itself, is ever going to be able to disprove that. And so the crap that we hear, 20th century, mid to late 20th century, now 21st century, the crap that we continue to hear from the science community that creation is random and that creationism is lunacy. Sorry, reclaiming my time on that one. Creationism wins. Order wins over chaos that only fits certain elements. If it's chaos, it needs to be chaos across the board. You can't have order and chaos intermingling with each other. Doesn't work that way. Okay. You can't have one one concept work under these conditions, but not work under the other, and say that there's it's all chaos. No, 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 no. Not not going to happen. Now, the next element. I'm going to touch off on this one. 
cancel culture is the term that some people use. Virtual signaling, virtue signaling was used before that. I don't really care what they're, how they refer to it. It's all lunacy. It's all an attempt to remove God again out of the equation. Creationism versus science or evolution or chaos theory or however you want to look at it is intended to remove God out of the equation. So is virtue signaling, cancel culture, all that can. Cancel culture just means if your culture has a, a concept of, of spiritualism that is of God and a creator, you see the common theme here, if it has morality attached to it, actual morality attached to it, then it must be canceled. Say so you remove that out of there and mixed in with that is the concept of matriarchy. Okay. matriarchy, patriarchy, uh, and so forth. This idea that there is a ruling class, so to speak, there is, um, there is a superior being to an inferior being and all those kind of concepts. News for you folks, since the beginning of recorded time in human history, there has always been a pecking order. God has designed all of nature to have superior beings and weaker beings. And I'm not speaking just in humans. I'm talking about in all of it. There's a superior and an inferior. And levels in between. There was always going to be a survival of the fittest in the process. And just because you don't like who's winning doesn't mean that you have some kind of a right to discontinue the winner because you don't like how it's turning out okay just because uh, women are excelling faster in athletics doesn't mean you then get a right to push men into the women's arena to compete with them no that is not correct I mean the irony in the liberal agenda today with all that with the sports junk is massive. Absolutely massive. They will they will claim with one side of their face that they believe that women have rights and women are equal and they have a right to stand equally with men. And then they turn around and say, but if a man decides he wants to compete with a woman, we should let him do it. To hell with a woman's right on her own. Now, we're not talking about women have a right to compete in men's athletics. See, that's not the argument. <laughs> See, liberals would tell you, the liberal mind, the liberal mentality tells you that women have a right to compete in the same workforce. Of course they do. But that's not what they're arguing. They're not arguing women competing in men's athletics. They are now saying that a man has a right to compete in women's athletics. But they're not claiming the other. They don't want women in football. They want men in gymnastics. You, you get where I'm going with this. They, they, want, they want men in the women's locker room. They don't want women in the men's locker room. That's not what they're arguing for. They're not arguing for equality in that direction. See, they're not looking for women to be pulled into the men's arena. They want men to be pulled into the women's arena. 
all while screaming that women are equal and have equal rights. But who they're really supporting is the mentally ill man who wants to claim that he's a woman. And yes, I will say it just like that. It is a mental illness, folks. It is not biologically normal. It does not biologically work. And for you to claim that just because you feel a certain way, that means you are a certain way. I can feel in my heart of hearts that I'm a goat, but it doesn't make me a goat. It doesn't mean I can go stand on a 80-degree 80 angled cliff on my tippy toes, eat grass, and consume metal goods without it affecting me. Sorry. Just because I want to be something doesn't mean that I am. In fact, my desire to be that goat is a mental illness. Plain and simple. It's not make-believe. It's not just, wouldn't it be cool if... It's not that. It's a strong desire that you not only should be, but you are. That's a mental illness. A woman who strongly believes that she is a man is mentally ill. A man who strongly believes that he is a woman is mentally ill. Now, it doesn't mean I can't love the mentally ill person that they are. Because depression and anxiety can be mental illnesses as well. doesn't mean I don't love that person. I've lost family to suicide. I've observed and witnessed the, the destructiveness of depression and anxiety, and I myself have faced it. I love with my whole heart those people. And I pray for them. I, I give them over to God in all that because I know that it is, it is tearing them apart emotionally, in some cases physically, and it's definitely affecting them spiritually. That's all real. But at the same time, I'm not going to look at that person and say that you are absolutely right. And that even though you're mentally ill, you're not mentally ill. And, uh, and the world should acknowledge you as you are and accept you the way you are and they should see the way you are as completely normal. No, it's not normal. It's sad. And it's debilitating. And I understand that. And it seems cold to look at somebody and say, your belief is an illness. But I think it's just as wrong to look at that person and say, that your belief that it goes against the very biological nature of what God created is also wrong. I'm not going to look at that. I'm not going to look at the creation that God created and say your distortion of that creation is valid and that it should be accepted. No, I'm not going to do that. I can love the person and hate the homosexuality. Absolutely. Just like I can love the person and hate the alcoholism. Or hate the depression. Or I can love the person and hate the suicidal thoughts. I can love the person and hate the fact that they're drawn or attracted to children sexually. I, I can look at all those elements and say what they're doing I despise, but the person... I can love. And it's easier for you to do once you've been a parent, too. You can love your child and hate the decisions that they make, the choices that they make, just like they can of you. 
but it doesn't keep you from loving them. If you really love them, actually you love them even stronger and you pray and you, you try to support them as much as you can. But you don't look at the alcoholic and go, you know what, I understand where you're coming from. You have every right to get just pissed drunk in the street and to abandon your job and to uh, to get behind the wheel and to ram your vehicle into other people and, and, and kill them on the street. You have a right to do all of that, and the world should support your habit. Anybody who would say that, you would look at them and go, they're crazy, they're insane. Why? Because you're supporting something that is creating a damaging environment for those around them and for them. Well, so is these other elements. It's all there. Now, again, all of that being said to say that all the virtual signaling and cancel culturing that's going on in the world is an attempt to tell the world all of my imperfections need to not only be accepted and supported, but they need to become legally protected. And if you live in a world where your, your existence thinks otherwise, you should be canceled. So using that argument would be to say that we should support and fund and hand another bottle to the alcoholic and give them the keys to a car and let them continue on down their path. But the person that we want that wants to stop them from doing that, that wants to take the alcohol away from them and try to sober them up both physically and emotionally and spiritually, that that person should be locked away somewhere, should be done away with, should be downsized out of community and cast out. That's wrong. And yes, I use it on the same level as I do the pedophile or the person who sees themselves as a sex or a gender that they are not. So I'm reclaiming my time to the right that there are people that are socially, emotionally, culturally, spiritually superior to others. Yes, that does exist. Okay, somebody who believes in a divine God is spiritually superior to one who disbelieves in anything other than chaos. They are spiritually superior and I think they are mentally superior because they have observed what goes on in the world itself and they acknowledge that it is not chaos run amok. It is order. Therefore, it is intelligent, and therefore, it was intelligently ordered. So, yes, a person who believes in God is, is superior to a person who attempts to deny that this was created. So, I'm reclaiming my time on that, in that area. Now, my next category... I've dealt with in previous videos and, and I don't know how well I've dealt with it to be very honest uh, I probably need to go back and rewatch those videos and uh, and reformulate and, and come up with a new maybe a one video that covers the whole crux of this but uh, I'm reclaiming my time as a Christian for the superiority of the true Christian faith and I say it that way the true Christian faith versus Catholicism versus Judaism, versus Islam, versus the mystery religions, and the the sects of the world, the occults of the world. 
I'm reclaiming my time, and I'm acknowledging that Christianity is superior to each of these others. Plain and simple. And I'm not going to have, there's no need for a defense other than to say, Catholicism never has and never will follow Christ. Catholicism is a religion built through Rome by Judaism and Roman culture as an attempt to take over Christianity. And it has been hugely successful in a large part of the world over the centuries. But it is not Christianity. And it is not the true faith. Judaism was replaced by Christ. Christ was not replaced by the Pope or by Mary or by Muhammad or by Buddha and so forth. Christ is Christ. Christ is God. Judaism helped guide and direct people toward looking for Christ. Catholicism is an attempt to reclaim the power that Judaism had but lost when Christ appeared. And Islam, and I know I'm generalizing it, but Islam is nothing more than the whiny stepchild, the, the illegitimate child outside of the realm of Judaism that didn't get the recognition that it wanted. They're all false. They all worship a being of some kind. Judaism and Catholicism worship their priests and their popes and their leadership their high priests, their papacy, their worldly order. That's what Judaism and Catholicism do. They worship human beings and structure and order and rules and regulations and things of that nature. Christianity doesn't worship a single human being. Christianity does not focus on earthly rules, Christianity focuses on, and I'm talking about at the roots of Christianity, I'm talking 1st, 2nd century Christianity, not the bastardized version that happened in the 3rd and 4th century with Catholicism, or the attempts to somehow cling to Judaism with Christ, you know, this so-called Christo, you know, Judeo-Christian crap, because that's exactly what it is, it's just a bunch of feces, you cannot mix Judaism and Christianity to de- together because what that actually ends up with is Catholicism. Romanized Judaism. Okay, That's all that is. Christianity doesn't have any of that. It doesn't have worldly leaders. It doesn't have worldly figures that represent it. The true Christian is a follower of Christ, not a follower of people here. Okay, There aren't priests. We are the priesthood in that regard, but according to our earliest writings within the Christian faith as it was building, the priesthood, the earthly priesthood has been replaced. Christ replaced that. The church is not a building. The church is the people. 
unlike Judaism with its temple and Catholicism with its cathedral or Islam with its mosque. Now, people would argue, well, Christianity has its church. Well, no. Christianity has buildings that people have become, have become brainwashed to believe and label as the church. The church never meant the ecclesia were the people. It wasn't the building that they met in. They met in small groups and chambers everywhere, even out in the open. It was the people. The church represents the people. The temple doesn't represent the people. The temple represents the temple. The mosque represents the mosque, a building. It doesn't represent the people. Muslims don't claim that, that they are the mosque. They go to the mosque, and they have to do it ritually. Catholics don't claim that they are the cathedral. They go to the cathedral. And again, they have to go to it ritually, within a structure. Christianity is the only, and, and there are you know subgroups of occults and, and sects and, and mystery religions and things of that nature. They all have their own roots of things, but they also all conjure up things and have rituals that are clearly uh, pagan at their core, which is not unlike Catholicism. Judaism, with the sacrifices and the the uh, confessionals and the praying to the dead and communion with the dead is the way they refer to it. I mean, which is even worse. They're eating with the dead. They're fellowshipping with the dead. Okay, so there's there's all of that that goes on. Christianity is the only faith that doesn't require any of that. I can meet with other believers in the faith, and be within my church. That is my church. Because it is the true nature of what church means. So I'm reclaiming my time with all of that. Christianity is not inferior. It is superior to all of these other things because it does not require an earthly religion, an earthly focus, an earthly ritual. Christianity doesn't require any of that. Now the church today, the church quote-unquote, the church building structure, the organization, the corporations would have you believe that you need all of that. That's for another podcast. The church today, the physical structure church, the corporation church, does require that. Why? Because it needs income. Because it's a corporation. It's a business. But you don't have to spend an earthly dime in order to fellowship as the church within Christianity. Not a dime. So, reclaiming my time, Christianity is superior to Catholicism, Judaism, and every other isms that are out there. And I'm not ashamed of it, and I will not counter that, and I will not acknowledge the others as equal to. You have your right to be disillusioned by these other so-called faiths, and belief systems and rituals and religions, you have the right to do that, but it's your eternity that you're facing, not mine. Mine is secure and mine is secure in Christ, and through that I am a Christian. Not because of church attendance, because of building attendance and assembly. I am a Christian because of my faith in Christ Jesus and my relationship intimately with Him through the Holy Spirit. So there's that. 
And my last element that I'm going to touch off on, again, these are just surface areas, but these are my reclaims. My last thing that I'm going to reclaim in this video is the concepts of the end times. And I do all of that uh, because I really haven't touched off on it at a really solid base because it kind of like the very first one with creationism, it's an area that people don't like to get involved. People don't really like to get involved in the concepts of the end times. And part of that is because uh, they don't understand it. Just like they don't understand creation, see, uh, they've, they've been told all of their life, you know, that, that Earth and the universe and everything exists the way that it does, and, and since they can't fathom it, they just accept it. Well, the end times kind of comes along those same lines, and they tell each other that we don't really know how it's going to happen, and so therefore, we're not going to think about it. And that is what is allowed, again, within the last couple of hundred years, it, there's a pattern that within the last two to three hundred years, uh, there's been a number of heresies that have happened and, and reforming of our structures of education. And, uh, and we tell ourselves it's because we're you know, more aware of things now, that we're more educated beings now. But we've done it to the end times, to eschatology, as much as we've done it to everything else in our society. And part of that is this concept of the rapture. Now, I do believe truly in the tribulation. Revelation clearly speaks of it. John was given the vision. He describes the vision. We know that there is tribulation that is to come, uh, and it will be like birth pangs, and it will increase, and we know all of that will happen. But there is not clear evidence that the church is rescued up out of that at any stage in that tribulation. And this is where there's huge, massive disagreements with, with my theories on this, although the further back in the readings that you go and the writings that you go on the subject, the clearer it becomes. Again, the earlier the manuscripts of the scripture you get, the more accurate the scripture is. Well, the earliest theological statements regarding the end times, the more accurate as well. Okay, the further removed we get from Scripture in time, the further we get removed from accuracy of that Scripture. And rapture is included in that. Earliest interpretations, earliest manuscripts do not include a pre-tribulation rapture, meaning the church gets rescued before the times get really tough, before the seven years. There is no indication of that. There's only a mention of the word rapture itself a couple of times in the, all of the scriptures. And, uh, and so I'm not going to spend this time to go into great detail with that, but I'm reclaiming that the church will have to endure. And by the church, I mean the Christians, the believers in Christ, will have to endure the miseries that are going to be upon us that are known as the Great Tribulation that there is no scriptural rescuing that takes place of that generation. Hence the reason why there are still martyrs, there are still people having to cling to or return to their faith or run to their faith possibly for the first time throughout the revelation. The times will be the worst that Earth's history has ever experienced, human history has ever experienced, and there is no rescuing of us from that. There will be a point where your faith in God and your relationship with Christ and your communication through the Holy Spirit will be essential 
for you to either survive physically or to be prepared spiritually to not survive and to be pulled forward into heaven when the end occurs. But the churches that teach you that you should not be afraid and that you should be encouraged and believe that when the times really get rough, we won't be here. That is not scriptural. There are those that argue that before the events happen, the church, quote-unquote, the church is pulled up and saved from it. There are those that argue midway through the church is pulled up through the process. Now, here's my take on this. And there are some that even, foolishly enough, to say that after it's all over and said and done, then the church goes up and then immediately comes back. That's total lunacy. That makes no sense whatsoever. Why in the world would the church be pulled up and then immediately return? There's no need to pull up. It doesn't make any sense. But the, all of those arguments in that, of pulling the church up out of this and somehow rescuing the church out from the middle of all this, again, defeats the revelation that John is shown. John has shown a time when people have to stand for their faith, their faith is tested, and they either stand up with their faith and endure, or they fall to it and take the mark and are forever lost. If the church is taken up before those events happen, there's no one here to have the faith and the foundation to stand up to the temptations, to stand up to the threats. If you've taken all the faithful away, everyone else that's left were non-believers to begin with. You're leaving the end times to a world that's already lost to try and endure through it. Now, there are those that would preach, well, yeah, that's exactly what we're talking about. Nobody at that time in that element is going to turn to God in the midst of that. It's the church that's still here that helps minister to those that are lost during that time to give them the reassurance and the comfort and to help guide them to God, to Christ, during those times. The truly faithful church unifies at that point to become the ministers to those who have yet received the truth and the light so that they can endure through. And some will and some will not. Again, it's the scattering of the seeds at its utmost point. That is what the end times are. And that is what is scriptural. So I reclaim my time against the idea that the church is somehow going to be rescued and that you've already punched your card and you don't have to worry about what you do or how you behave or when things happen and you can just ignore it. That goes back to my early statement that the devil's best deception was convincing people that he didn't exist. The devil's best deception for the church is to believe that the church will not have to endure a punishing time. So the church will fall asleep. So the church will be caught unprepared. So the church will fail. That is the devil's intent. Because the devil knows 
because the devil has read the end of the book just as we have. The devil knows what is ahead. The devil knows what is going to occur. And the devil knows the only way to attempt to fight it is to convince the church to fall asleep. Okay, To give up a belief in a creator. To give up a superior battle of humanity. To give up Christianity as the solution and therefore in the end to give up on fighting what is to occur at the end it all builds on itself now those are my four reclaims of my time I will speak in more detail I'm sure in the future on each of those topics with more detail with scriptural and with you know documented evidence as needed as as it comes up but there I am. This is what I leave you. Here we are at the beginning of February. We're not even a month into a new administration. And, uh, and you've seen things in the last two weeks that probably have shocked you already. In some cases it hasn't, but in many cases I would imagine you're already. People from all sides of the spectrums, politically, religiously, so forth, have looked at the last two weeks and have said, Wow! I figured it was going to be this, but I didn't figure it was going to be that, and so forth. And it's just begun. And it's going to continue to do this throughout the rest of our human history. Some form of it. There'll be a give and take. But we've got to reclaim our time as believers in a divine creation as believers in superiority of intellect as well as spirituality, as believers that Christianity is the only answer to all of what's going on around us, and that we must cling to that because our very existence to the very end of time is dependent on it. And with that, I leave you. God bless you and keep you. Until next time.